Hello, sheeple. I mean, friends of the podcast. Producing Paranoid Planet is a little less expensive than producing a Hollywood blockbuster, but it still isn't free. And believe it or not, the CIA, the Deep State, and the military-industrial complex are not generous enough to fund our endeavors to promote critical thinking through uplifting conversations, in-depth interviews, and a few laughs. So if you can support our show with small monthly micropayments or a one-time donation of 3 5 8 or $10, why not take a couple minutes and go to our website at www.paranoidplanet.ca and click on the Support Us icon. Not only will you help keep our production costs low and our episodes freely accessible to all, you'll also get a chance to appear on our show, get initiated into our secret society, and you'll reap all of the benefits that come with ruling the world in relative secrecy, like finding out who killed President Kennedy, or receiving a 48-hour running start when the CIA next puts you on one of its kill lists. Amazing, isn't it? And all for a measly couple bucks a month. Imagine what you might get for a thousand. As surely as I'm speaking by the Spirit of God, that is a word for a person right now. That is God penetrating your heart. It's burning on the inside of you, and you need to make a vow of faith of a thousand dollars. I'm talking about what God says. And if you want the kind of miracles that are in the Bible, you're going to have to do what God said to do. Or, well, whatever. In the kingdom of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. In the kingdom of the paranoid, the one-eyed man is a spy. This is Paranoid Planet. I welcome this kind of examination because people have got to know whether or not their president is a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. Esta nunca ha sido dictadura, señores. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Our enemies are innovative and resourceful, and so are we. They never stop thinking about new ways to harm our country and our people, and neither do we. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. I'm not gonna give you a question. You are fake news. Silent Green is people! Welcome to episode 7.2a of Paranoid Planet. I am your host, Michel-Jacques Gagné, recording this program from a malt shop on the outskirts of Dallas in the year 1963, and wondering how the world might be better if I murdered Lee Harvey Oswald with my bare hands. Uh, with me, as always, is my co-host, producer, and favorite fictional time-traveling vigilante, Joan Dalia Ligio. Say hello, Joan. Hola, ¿qué tal? So we'll be talking about tra uh, time traveling, but first, uh, you're going to be traveling through space, not time, uh, fairly soon, again. That's right. So you're going to be leaving us uh, for how long? Uh, around a, a month and a half. A month and a half. So I'm going to have to find another Guillermo. <laughs> Looks like. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll be doing auditions soon. Uh, you can always um, email paranoidplanet.com. What's that? <laughs> I forgot our what's our email again? Paranoidplanet at dot mail at gmail.com. That's it. Uh if you would like to uh replace Joan's uh, very large shoes on exactly. this program. The, the, uh, the only prerequisite you need to be deadly handsome. You have to be deadly handsome. That's it. Okay. Well uh, for uh, that'll be a change at least for uh for once. 
Uh, so, Juan, what are you doing? Are you, you're going to get married? No, 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 no. The thing is, um, remember that involving this robotics uh, yes. thing, you know, and there's an opportunity in Chile to um, to get um, a reseller. So it would be awesome because that would be the, the way of uh, selling our robots if in, in South America, you know, and why not in my home country, you know? Okay, that's a good place to start rather than, say, communist China or uh, Vladimir Putin's Russia. We already are. We, we already have a reseller in Japan, and that thing, it's hot, man, incredible. They love robots, so. They're going to need some robots to protect themselves against a lot of the uh, North Korean missiles that are uh, starting to rain around the place <laughs> right now, so, so that's good. Uh, do you believe in time traveling? Um, you know what? When I was younger... I did a lot. There was a, a book um, called Caballo de Troya, the Trojan horse. Okay. From a Peruvian author. I don't remember his name or not. I think it passed, passed like uh, his last name. And it was really, really interesting. Like this, this, this it starts like um, this uh, scientist send these two guys to the past. To, to meet Jesus. In, inside the Trojan horse? Because he might have his calendar mixed up there. The thing is, they follow him, you know, and uh, and the only thing that, uh, but Jesus act kind of uh, uh, recognized that those guys are not from, from from there, you know, kind of thing, because they try to mingle. And, Maybe um, the cell phones give it away. <laughs> the, the watches. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like the Spartacus. Um, uh, and the thing is, Jesus says something to them like, you are welcome, but you cannot interfere. They, you cannot change history. Kind of thing. Kind of, you know, it's fun. And, and I was captivated by the book. So it's like, mm, interesting. Um, yeah, and plus my upbringing as a Christian. So, of course, everything made sense to me at that time, you know. We're still trying to figure out the black holes and wormholes and, you know, so only movies, only movies. Who knows? Who knows? May, maybe one day, maybe in Chile, you can uh, pitch your idea for a, a time machine. <laughs> the, the only time travel that I do is just the, the, the time zone. <laughs> you know, in preparing today's episode, uh, of, today we're going to be talking about time travel and JFK. Uh, but in preparing the episode, I came across this question a few times, and I'm going to ask it to you as well. If you could go back in time, would you kill Adolf Hitler? Oh, knowing what, what he did. <laughs> no, just because you don't like his mustache. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. You I didn't like his paintings. Do. That's yeah. right. Uh, uh, mm, I don't know. Because really, I believe there is a chain reaction. If you change something, it could be something worse. I don't know. I, I would imagine. That, that, that would terrify man, to change history. Yeah, yeah. No, in fact, that's kind of the question that the the book we're going to be talking about uh, asks or uh, ponders. But I think that's a question a lot of people don't think. I, I do teach ethics, and sometimes I do ask that question to students. And most of them are ready to go back in time and shoot Hitler in the face, you know. Uh, but they don't necessarily think what else might be changed. You know, you come back and suddenly Stalin is, you know, is, is the president of Canada or who knows what. Uh, what about General Pinochet? Would you kill him? Um, no, no, the same, the same, same, the same thing applies. What about Rick Astley? Would you go back and kill Rick Astley? 
and we're gonna give you up. No, why? Why would we kill the man? There's no reason. Just the music is so kitsch. It it, it should never have happened. No, it's good music. Imagine how many years later he became a meme and he keeps getting money for it. Like impressive. Yeah, I don't I don't know if he's still alive. I'm assuming he yeah, is. Yeah, he is, he is. Yeah. Is he making still money from that song? Yeah, there's actually a nice documentary in, in I think in Prime in Amazon about the, the story of that song and how it became so viral. Yeah. Oh wow. Uh, do you have a favorite time travel movie? Yes. The Terminator. Why? You know, that, that idea of somebody coming from the future to kill your, your son or your not born child because it's going to be the savior of the, you know, it's kind of bizarre. And an unstoppable machine, you know? All right, listen. The Terminator's an infiltration unit. Part man, part machine. Underneath, it's a hyper-alloy combat chassis. Microprocessor controlled. Fully armored. Very tough. But outside, it's living human tissue. Flesh, skin... Hair, blood, grown for the cyborgs. Look, Reese, I don't know what you want Pay attention! It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop. Ever. Until you are dead. Yeah, like, the thing is, the the premise is the machines are going to take over. Uh, (laughs) And it's funny that right now we are in the whole uh, chat GPT thing artificial intelligence is getting real when, when chat gpt will have a voice is it going to sound like arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> suddenly all of my students essays start sounding a lot like arnold schwarzenegger is writing stuff for me what about uh, back to the future doc i'm from the future i came here in a time machine that you invented now i need your help to get back to the year 1985 Okay, all right, I'll prove it to you. Look at my driver's license. Expires 1987. Look at my birthday, for crying out loud. I I haven't even been born yet. I'm telling the truth, Doc. You gotta believe me. Then tell me, future boy, (laughs) who's president of the United States in 1985? Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan? The actor? (laughs) Wow, that's a classic. That's a, a good one. That's a really well, well made, well, well thought out because it's the three movies were thought, you know, to make sense of each other. And But if you go back in the past and you kill yourself, do you disappear right away? Or is that just you dead in a different timeline? Uh, and then we open the kind of worms yeah. of multiverses. Because yeah. I was thinking about that. There's a movie called Looper. Oh, yes, exactly. With Bruce Willis. Um, and in fact, apparently the movie was inspired by 12 Monkeys that we discussed on our program before. And that's the whole premise of Looper. Here's a guy who shoots people from the future. It's his job as a hitman. uh, And he ends up having to shoot himself. All right, listen. This is a hard situation for you, but we both know how this has to go down. I can't let you walk away from this diner alive. This is my life now. I earned it. You had yours already. So why don't you do what old men do and die? Just take your little gun out between your legs and do it, boy. So do you know what's going to happen? You done all this already as me? I don't want to talk about time travel. Because if we start talking about it, then we're going to be here all day talking about it, making diagrams with straws. I, I found it was actually a, a much much better film than, uh, was it, uh, that's that horrible Star Wars movie that Ryan Johnson made. 
uh, the the Last Jedi. Oh, the Last Jedi. Uh, yeah. But in that particular case, I thought jo- Ryan Johnson did a really good job. But it is a little bit confounding uh, when your future self can come back and 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 change the past, not necessarily yeah. you change the future or whatever. Uh, yeah, and of course, there's that great ending from Planet of the Apes, which is a time travel film, but you don't know until the very last scene when Charlton Heston, one of our favorite guys, uh, gets off his horse, sees the Statue of Liberty, and he says, you blew it up, no. you <laughs> bastards, you blew it up. Oh, my God. I'm back. I'm home. All the time. We finally really did it you maniacs you blew it up oh, damn you god damn you all to hell so those those are classic time travel movies but today we're not going to be talking about them we will be talking about uh, 112263 which is a novel by Stephen King will also and also a television program uh and what was interesting in preparing this this episode i was wondering whether there are some kind of time traveling movies or films about lee harvey oswald that tell a different story and uh do you remember the tv show quantum leap yes very popular in the 1990s i think the the premise it was a long time ago but the premise was that some kind of super scientist from the future discovers time travel but he gets stuck in this kind of time loop where he's jumping from he's actually goes and possesses other people's bodies i guess it's almost like his soul moves into different bodies yeah it's really really weird yeah there's stuff that some he he shows up as a drag (laughs) he took the the, the body of a woman yeah and and the computer keeps wanting him to kind of change the past for the better right so it's kind of a feel-good time traveling thing where you're helping other people solve their problems although the problem with that is that, of course, the people are not solving their own problems. The super professor from the future <laughs> exactly. is solving their problems while they're kind of in some state of, I don't know, are they like in some state of sleep or, or, or uh, you know, it's, it's like they can't control their bodies anymore. Uh, and what was interesting uh, is that the, uh, the creator of the show who wrote most of the episode uh, episodes, his name was Donald Belisaro. And it turns out Donald Belisaro knew Lee Harvey Oswald. He had met him when he was in the Marines in 1958 or so. And I stumbled across this interview, which was really fascinating because he says in 1991, when he was writing Quantum Leap episodes, his 14-year-old came back from the movies having seen Oliver Stone's JFK. Says, Dad, you wouldn't believe it. The mafia, the CIA, they were all involved in killing Kennedy. (laughs) And, and, And Belisaro is like, no, they weren't. I met this guy. He was crazy. He was a Marxist. He kept spewing nonsense. I wouldn't be surprised if he killed someone. And then, in fact, he decided to write uh, a Quantum Leap episode, the only one that actually deals specifically with real historical events. And he has the doctor uh, jump into Lee Harvey Oswald's body. And what happens is, over the course of the episode, rather than a conspiracy, what happens is the doctor's mind starts to get polluted with the anger and all of the uh, the emotional uh, distress and, and, and hatred of Lee Harvey Oswald. And he comes to shoot President Kennedy 
And just as he does, he jumps out of the body, right? This is the thing he doesn't control. The computer yeah. kind of controls it for him. And he becomes one of the security agents, uh, the, the Secret Service agents protecting Kennedy, who uh, Clint Hill, although I don't know if his name is mentioned in the, uh, in the program, but as Clint Hill, suddenly he knows that Kennedy's in danger because he was just in the body of the guy who was aiming from the window. So he starts running towards the car, which, of course, you can see on the Zapruder yeah, film. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't manage to save Kennedy, but he pushes um, Jackie Kennedy down into the car and the car takes off. And then, and then later on, the character uh, says, I can't believe I failed. I, I, usually I have to change the past for the better before I jump to another body. And that's when his sidekick, who's a hologram, uh, tells him, actually, you did change the past. In the first, the first time, Jackie Kennedy was also shot, but your job was not to save the president. It was to save his wife and make sure she got out of there alive. So that was kind of an interesting twist on time travel and the Kennedy assassination by a guy who actually met the, the let's say, the alleged killer, uh, the alleged assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald. And he was convinced that, uh, uh, that Oliver Stone got it all wrong with a massive conspiracy theory. So I thought that was kind of cool. Wow. Um, and just recently, and I'm going to mention this in my essay in this episode, I, I watched this Japanese film called Rashomon. Uh -huh. Are you familiar with that? Akira Kurosawa. Yes. So you've seen it? Yeah. Are you able to kind of summarize it in five sentences? Whew. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's okay, because I do I do later yeah. on. But essentially, it's, a, it's like of a murder mystery where you see from four different points of view the event, and, and, and no one agrees exactly on what happened. Um, and so, and that's been kind of, it's become a cliche in Hollywood, right? How mm -hmm. many movies now do this and TV programs where you hear the same story three, four, five times. And at the end, you kind of have to decide uh, who's telling the truth or, or where the truth lies. Maybe nobody's telling the truth. Uh, and it's, it struck me that, you know, this is something that has happened to the Kennedy assassination. So many people have told the story that it becomes really, really hard for someone who doesn't spend, you know, years and years yeah, right. studying mm -hmm. this to understand exactly what happened. And it's not just the fact that everybody wants to believe in something different. It's also that there's so much information, right? There were like three different government investigations. No event in history has been scrutinized as much as the Kennedy assassination with photos and countless amounts of uh, recorded testimonies. Uh, it, it does become a Rashomon, but instead of having four opinions, there are like 5,000. It would be interesting to, to show all of these different opinions in one single film. Maybe Oliver Stone can do that. But that's the fault of the government, not being transparent of what happened. So let, let's, let's, let's blame the government. All right. Not, not human nature. I like that. Okay. Uh, so uh, anything uh, you want to say before you go off on your massive uh, uh, expedition to the South Seas? Well, I wish you the best. <laughs> Uh, no, 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 it's going to be, I, I don't think it's long. It's just, uh, it's so, super, super unexpected, you know, to, to make it right now. Like I, I was thinking to, to travel in June, in July, but no, the opportunity came now. So like, are there still wedding bells in the near future? In the near future. Yes. Near future, but not, not just now. No, 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 no. Okay. All right. Cause we don't want uh, a certain, a certain lady to get, uh, too uh, too optimistic when she hears this episode, or or disappointed. You may show you, you'll not have to show up with some flowers now. Exactly. All right. Well, let's do this. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Let's go. Clint, now you're gonna feel a little discombobulated from the chrono shift. Don't worry about it. Wait, wait, wait a second. Let me ask you something. 
if we can do this, you know, go back in time, why don't we just find baby Thanos, you know, and... First of all, that's horrible. It's Thanos. And secondly, time doesn't work that way. Changing the past doesn't change the future. Look, we go back, we get the stones before Thanos gets them. Thanos doesn't have the stones. Problem solved. Bingo. That's not how it works. Well, that's what I heard. Wait, but who? Who told you that? Star Trek, Terminator, Time Cop, Time After Time. Quantum Leap. Wrinkle in Time, Somewhere in Time. Hot Tub Time Machine. Hot Tub Time Machine. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Basically, any movie that deals with time travel. Die Hard? No, that's not why. This is known. I don't know why everyone believes that, but that isn't true. Think about it. If you travel to the past, that past becomes your future. And your former present becomes the past, which can't now be changed by your new future. Exactly. So Back to the Future is a bunch of bullshit? Chapter 1. Back to the Future was bullshit. Do you think that if JFK lived... Robert Kennedy would run for president. Seriously. It's doubtful. So, if Bobby doesn't run, that means no Sirhan Sirhan at the Ambassador Hotel in 1968. Save JFK, save his brother. And that's what I mean about the butterfly effect. And then there's Vietnam. Okay, so if you save JFK, then there's no Vietnam? Johnson was the one who escalated everything in Nam. If Kennedy had survived, no way does that escalation continue. Those boys would have lived. Oh, I get it. But changing the past to make it how you think it should be, it just seems... You think Vietnam unfolded exactly as it should have? That recent American history was just hunky-dory. That saving JFK is just a theory. You don't know what it's gonna change. You know what I know? You save Kennedy's life. You make the world a better place. Today, I am having a conversation with my friend Matthew Newland, who is a philosopher and also a voracious consumer of fiction books by which I mean he reads them, he doesn't eat them, uh, to review Stephen King's metaphysical, historical, time-traveling thriller 2211-63, which, in case you still didn't know, uh, is also the date that President Kennedy was assassinated. There will probably be some spoilers. If you plan to read the book in the near future, uh, then maybe uh, we'll try to say spoiler alert, or maybe you should just turn this off and go read the book now. You can watch a TV show and cheat if you want. Um, I think it's on Hulu. Did you watch it, Matthew? I did. You did? Okay, yes. so I, I only watched like some highlights on YouTube. Though it's pretty safe to let you know in advance that somebody is going to be firing some shots at Kennedy, and somebody is going to try to stop him, or her, or them, or Zer from doing it. I'm not only excited to have Matthew discuss this book with me today, because after all, he's the guy who incited me to read it. But also because even though we live in the same city, and my wife taught his children, this is actually the first time we meet in person. Uh, you can blame that on various COVID restrictions and also the fact that we are both zealous full-time college educators and busy parents who are really crap at planning things in advance. Uh, to make sure that the Paranoid Planet bunker, uh, its safety and sanctity are not defiled, uh, we have made sure to properly initiate Matthew on the way in by blindfolding him, spinning him around several times, and giving him a full ceremonial burial and mock resurrection, as is fitting with any paranoid old boys club. Matthew, welcome to my bunker. Thank you for having me. 
So uh, would you like to wear a funny hat? I have an assortment of uh, pirate, Masonic, QAnon, and uh, Texas oil man uh, garb. I'm perfectly fine You're with fine that, like but that. thank you okay. very much. All right. Excellent choice. Uh, tell us a little bit about who you are. Uh, for example, where you grew up and what's your academic and professional uh, background? Oh, yeah. So uh, I grew up in Valentine, Nebraska. I lived there my entire life until I was 23. Uh, then I came to Canada. I studied philosophy at the Dominican University College uh, that's now part of Carleton University in Ottawa, Ontario. Um, did my bachelor's there, uh, came to Montreal to study at Concordia University. I married my wife, Alessia, who is Ukrainian uh, immigrant to Canada, and uh, we've been married since 2005. I did my master's at Concordia University in philosophy again. Um, my thesis topic was human nature and evolution, uh, understanding basically what it means to be an image of God in an evolving world. Uh, then I came back to the Dominican University College to do my doctorate. Uh, my thesis was on Plato's Republic and the philosophy of Alfred North Whitehead. And uh, that's an interesting combination since Plato lived some 2,400 years ago and Whitehead lived just this past century. And Whitehead's the one who said that all of philosophy is a footnote to Plato. That's him, actually. Yeah, and that, okay. that, 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 so he's I did, definitely a Plato fanboy. I did reference that quote, though interestingly, Whitehead's philosophy has almost nothing in common with Plato's oh. as far as I can tell. <laughs> I think his idea is that all philosophers have either been reiterating what Plato said or reacting to what Plato said or arguing against what Plato said. Okay. And uh, Whitehead himself doesn't really seem to do that too much. He has his own ideas and he just proceeds to go ahead with them. Anyway, uh, in the meantime, yeah, I have two kids. Uh, my son Luca is right now 15 years old and my daughter Anastasia, uh, whom your wife taught, just has just turned 11. And uh, I teach part-time for three different colleges, uh, two in the United States, one in Nebraska, uh, and one here in Canada. You also taught like for uh, Japanese students oh. for a while, right? I taught, yes, yes. I taught um, online, online English for uh, kids in China, which I did up until not quite a year ago. I think I stopped doing that. Well, I stopped doing most uh, teaching most of my kids in August of uh, last year because uh, China made some restrictions to prevent foreign teachers from i don't want to say i don't want to say this in 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 uh yeah, everybody loves yeah, china yeah in uh in in yeah, unkind terms but i i think they basically fear the influence of foreign teachers on their students because they can kill you yeah so uh i stopped doing that i had a couple of kids in hong kong who were allowed to stay on the program for a little longer but then i stopped doing that completely last last december so anyway, I'm teaching. One way or another, I've been teaching. And that's the only thing that I really can do well. And it's the only thing I enjoy doing all yeah. the time. Were you doing this before COVID? Or was it COVID that kind of created the, the need for oh. all these online teachers? Oh, no, no. I was teaching kids in China since 2017. Okay. So I start, and, and I've been teaching them in person here in Montreal since 2009. I, I used to have uh, uh, kids come to my house and I would teach them. And uh, uh, that stopped when 
well that 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 stopped with covid okay. uh the in-person teaching stopped with covid but so uh, but when yeah. covid came and they said to teachers you got to figure out what zoom is you're like i got this basically yeah okay. it was very easy i, I should have come teaching... to you for a tutorial oh, would have yeah. saved me a lot of uh that would have a lot been, of boozing i guess that would have been a pleasure uh you said your wife is ukrainian yes uh how has just briefly how has the recent um war in ukraine affected your family yeah well it's uh been very difficult for her i know she She's on social media and she sees, you know, photographs of uh, places she knows that have been bombed. Uh, she hears about her friends and her cousins who, who are living there right now uh, that she left behind when she came to Canada. Um, I know her, her friend told her that, you know, they hear the air raid sirens blaring uh, like every day. And I think it's become a part of the background noise. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's I imagine was very eerie to hear them at first and it's probably eerie to realize that you've gotten used to them yeah after uh after so much time has passed um and it makes us realize that what we complain about really is not that, yeah, all that bad that is also true exactly I know we hear about she 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 tells me about um you know uh women whose you know sons and husbands have both been killed uh, they were both fighting you know they were both joined the army and they were both killed and it really puts things into perspective I mean just how 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 close to home it is for her uh you know it's we we think of these things happening far away and uh to someone else and it's it's not like that anymore okay and like me you're a bookworm you're an avid reader oh, yes. uh since we're going to be talking about some fiction or fictionalized uh story today what type of uh literature do you most uh indulge in okay so um for the most part i like something that has characters I can connect with. That's, I guess, the most important thing for me. Like Harlequin novels. Um, well, <laughs> not so much Harlequin novels, but uh, anything I guess that that's that's long enough. I, I I mostly do my reading, my reading air quotes in the form of audiobooks. So if I see it's like under ten hours, I usually don't bother with it. So oh, I, really? I if I see that, I'm like, well, what can they do in ten hours? Is basically my thought. <laughs> that's good. You know, people are yeah. tweeting, and you're saying it takes ten hours to get yeah. a good uh, yeah. A good no, story if, if it's if it's if it's so longer, maybe Dostoevsky might be more maybe. apropos. Well, you know, I also have to say this: I have um, tried to enjoy classic novels. I also find that I'm not always able to connect with them mentally as well as I would like to. I did take one kind of gamble. It's not historical exactly, but do you know Gore Vidal, the author yes, Gore Vidal? Okay, yes. so I listened to his book, Julian, which is a biography of Emperor Julian or Julian the Apostate, as he's known. And uh, that was a 19 hour, that was a 19 hour listen. And it, the book was, I think, written in the late 60s. I don't know the exact year. Um, but it was also about someone who lived, you know, a very, very long time ago. And I wasn't sure, am I going to really be able to relate to the book? But as it turned out, I really was. Uh, it was written in a really entertaining way because uh, it pr basically pretends to be an autobiography written by Julian himself, though it's it's not, it's, it's, it's fiction, uh, though the author did his research. But uh, there's also commentary, like really catty commentary by these two people that knew Julian who are reading the manuscript and annotating it. And uh, it was very entertaining. I, I really liked the book a cool. lot. So, so, so you're yeah. a philosopher who likes to read history. Like I'm yeah. a historian who likes to read philosophy. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So. so let's move on to our topic a bit. Um, uh, like me, you were not born when President Kennedy was assassinated, but you are American. Yes. And you also grew up in a Catholic home. Yes. So what role, if any, did the memory of President Kennedy and the way that he died how did that affect your family or your community? Well, I know my mom told me quite a lot about her memories of the time that Kennedy passed away. I mean, uh, my my Catholicism comes from my mom. Uh, my 
my great-grandfather came from what is now the Czech Republic, though it was a German-speaking region of what is now the Czech Republic. The Sudetenland? Is that the part that Hitler uh Well, yes, in fact, it would have been, yes. The Catholicism in my family comes from that particular branch of my family tree. It's managed to sort of uh, survive um, as I know that my my grandmother was Protestant when my grandfather married her, and then my dad was Protestant when he married my mom. So that uh, that part of my my background comes from there. And I know that uh, my my mom's family felt, uh, I guess, some... uh, I guess pride, I guess, in the idea that there was a Catholic president. I, I know it had been a controversial thing when Kennedy was elected, uh, his Catholicism. And so uh, I think my my mom was, let's see, she was probably a fairly young girl at the time. She was born in 54. So yeah, she would have been like nine years old when uh, when Kennedy passed away. So, But she she remembers it. and uh, And I remember hearing her tell me about just her memory of the day and the announcement and, and all of that. And then with uh, with Robert Kennedy a bit later on, too. Okay. So was he seen as a Catholic hero or just a, a hero of democracy or some sort of a statement to emulate? Um, I think statesman. that he was uh, maybe a statesman and American, uh, maybe maybe sort of validation to the idea that, you know, Catholics were... I even have read other people's accounts of, of when Kennedy was elected and this idea that he would be, you know, secretly loyal to the Vatican and things like that. And and maybe it, it wasn't about that so much as just validation that anyone can be president. I don't want to make a comparison where it's not my place, but maybe like when uh, Obama was elected as an African-American president, just the idea that anyone can be president. And when there's a, a female president or the next president that comes from any kind of minority uh, just, just the idea that any American can 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 take the can take the job, can take the role, and and do well with it. Yeah, I I do compare Kennedy and Obama in many ways in my book. Uh, it would have been interesting. No, I, I'm not saying that this would have been uh, desirable, but it would have been interesting had Obama also been shot, say, yeah. in his third year. Yeah. Uh, you know what yeah. people might have thought of Obama yeah. as some kind of a hero. The guy was going to oh. bring like health care yeah. to all Americans, yeah, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. And having lived out two full terms, he became a normal president, right? Yes. A caretaker more than anything else. Yes. And it's interesting. And I think this novel, as we're going to see, uh, plays uh, with these doubts about yeah. what would have happened if Kennedy had stuck around. Yeah. Conspiracy theorists have their ideas, but even people like Al Templeton, one of the characters in the novel, yes. also has big ideas of what would have happened if Kennedy had survived. So yeah. it's a big important story we're going to talk about. Uh, so br- what brought you to read this extremely fat book in the first place? Uh, you already mentioned that you like long books, uh, but was it an interest in the subject? Was it Stephen King? Or is it the fact that you like to punish yourself with uh, excessive reading about dead people? So it's all of the above for that. <laughs> I, I like Stephen Jack. King. Stephen King's a good character maker. I've always said he's, I, I honestly say that he's a better character builder than he is a storyteller. Um, I find often his books are, are a bit longer than they need. Earlier, I complained about books being too short, and now I'm complaining about them being too long. But I do find that some of his books are much longer than they have any real need to be. Uh, he could tell the same story and... Uh, it's a good example, like it's the the book. I know there's yeah. all kinds of digressions and things that. Well, kind I of... got lost at the end when yeah. like uh, these eleven year olds start having like oh, uh, yeah that too. A sex party. I'm not, I'm not even thinking that about just... that. I'm not even thinking about that. That's I'm why I wouldn't about... want. I didn't want my daughter to watch the movie. I was afraid there'd be something like that in it. There yeah. wasn't. But, yeah, uh... I'm sure they wouldn't do that. But but <laughs> just uh, inappropriate. Yeah, exactly. But no, just just the story. He goes off on these tangents, and I kind of want to get back to the story. And but um, Stephen King is a good character builder when he 
when when he uh, stays focused on what he's good at, I really enjoy him. In fact, I've got uh, uh, his his book, uh, The Dead Zone, which you are already familiar with. One of which, my favorites. Yeah, I'm going to be listening to that one uh, when I finish the book okay. I'm on right now. So I read it a long time ago, but I rewatched the film. Yeah, just two nights ago. Christopher Walken, so. who also starred yeah. in Communion. Christopher the, the movie Walken. Yes, yes, that's right. Everybody that's right. wants to do a Christopher Walken voice, oh. but mine mine yeah. probably sucks. Oh, mine too. <laughs> Uh, okay, so let's try to give a succinct summary of this book. Yes. Uh, like you said, it does meander yes. like a lot of, of King books. Yes. Uh, maybe we can try to avoid giving away all of the spoilers, uh, but we really need to spoil some element, particularly how the end, because I think it's so central to the message that he's trying to share with us. Um, do, well, do, do you want to kind of do the honors and then maybe I'll, I'll fill in or we can jump in each other? Oh, well, one thing I will... I will say is that he does meander, but I find that he stays focused enough on the story that I never this this book was totally justified in its length. I I really felt like he 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 took enough time to tell the story and he used the page the large page count well the high page count well uh, to to do it. I mean there was a bit of you know him the um, uh, the job at the the private school and teaching and putting on school plays and things and maybe yeah. that was a bit the, off the Texas topic. love story exactly. But it was. It it fit well. I mean, it showed that he he ha we're getting ahead of the yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the synopsis. But I mean, he had to build a life for himself while he waited for you know the fateful day to arrive. And uh, I think the book did a really good job. Showing I think us I would that. enjoy that more on the TV because the actress yeah. was quite uh, oh, yeah. becoming, as yes, we could yes. say. Yeah. Uh, whereas on you know, I have to I, my imagination maybe is not as good as the uh, central casting in Hollywood yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we have a character called Jake Epping. Yes. And like many of Stephen King's character, he's a high school or community school English teacher. Yes. Uh, it, it seems to be his go-to character to the point that I think is getting a little bit stale. Well, King himself was a teacher too, I think, yeah. for a time. Yeah, so but I mean, there comes a point where you have to yeah. kind of imagine yourself as being something else. Yeah. And they're always from Maine. Yes. And oh, yes. they always come from uh, Derry, or many of them come from Derry, which is actually a city in Northern Ireland that doesn't exist oh, in the States. Interesting. But he comes from Bangor, yes. which is another city in Northern Ireland, very close to where my wife is from. So oh, this Bangor-Derry okay. thing that he kind of plays uh, with, I, there's got to be some Northern Irish blood in his background Probably, that made yeah. him do that. Yeah. So uh, Jake Epping has a friend who's a cook, a short order cook. Yes. Uh, Al Templeton. Yes. And Al Templeton discovers what? He discovers the rabbit hole. So the rabbit hole is a portal to 1958, I think. The TV series makes it 1960. So the TV show, he has to save us less, a couple episodes. He saves us some episodes, exactly. But yeah, the it's a doorway to 1958. So when Jake goes through the doorway, he finds himself in the past. And uh, the really interesting thing is that he can go back and forth as many times as he wants to, or it appears that he can go back and forth as many times as he wants to. And every time he does, the past will reset itself so that uh, anything that he experienced will hap either happen again when he goes through the portal again, or anything that he changed will be back to the way it was. Yeah, which remind me a little bit of the Matrix, you yes. know, when there's a glitch yes. and the like, well, and we might come back to that. It's almost like the computer program has a glitch. And so you keep going back to the same spot, the bookmark, if you wish, that that time bubble uh, brings them into. Um, so Al Templeton goes and buys cheap meat for a, yep. who knows how many years. Yes. And then eventually he grows a conscience and he decides, yes. well, why don't I just stay in the past and try to save Kennedy? Right. But he never gets there because he suffers some horrible um, cancer. Yes. And he comes back on death's door and he hires his friend, his young divorcee, um, uh, community college teacher mm -hmm. Jake Epping who yes. basically doesn't have a life yes and charges him with 
going into the past with a notebook yeah. of stuff. Yeah. And uh, this is one thing I found interesting is the Epping character knows nothing about Kennedy except, he says, what he saw in an Oliver Stone film. Yes, yes. Which we'll be discussing yes. in this podcast as yes. well. Yes, which I saw, I think, when I was 11 or 12. Oh, yeah. My dad watched it on TV. I watched it with him, and I haven't seen it since. And oh, okay. 1992? I don't even know when the movie came out. 1991. Okay, well, I think I saw it on TV, so it would have been like a year later. Okay. So, um, and that was 30 years ago. So I haven't seen that movie okay. in 30 years. Well, so I saw my it in 92 very... with my okay. mother at Mother's Day, and then I watched it maybe another 20 times mm -hmm. after. Because let's face it, I was in the rabbit hole for a while. I was going to say, you were myself. already into the Kennedy story. Oh, I was in the then. Kennedy story before I decided to, uh, I, before I changed my mind about it. Okay. So I was... Right. I was definitely in, in the, the conspiracy fold in right. my understanding of what happened to Kennedy. Right. Um, okay, so uh, Jake Epping goes to the past. He he tries a few experiments. He tries to save people that he knows in the present. Yes. Uh, and it becomes, he almost gets killed. Yes. He comes back and he realizes that uh, by saving this co-worker of his yes. who almost got murdered by his dad when he was young and his siblings, he ended up creating a kind of a, uh, a, a, I don't know, a, a, a butterfly effect. I yes. think that's the word that comes back. Yeah. That this guy ends up going to Vietnam and dying yes. rather than surviving to his 60s or whatever when they know each other. That's right. So he can change the past, but the problem is what kind of future will come out of it? Right. Now, to me, I would think that's the first part where you go, oh, crap. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, what would happen then yeah. if I do something like kill Lee Harvey Oswald? Yeah. But he doesn't seem to reflect on no. that. He's not a deep thinker. That's one of the things that bothered me about Jake Epping. He seems to be kind of a shallow character right. who yeah. doesn't really think about the consequences of his actions. Yeah, good point. Yeah. yeah. So then he has like this whole, like, was it three, four year wait yes. for Lee Oswald to come back from Russia yes. and to see if he can stop the Kennedy assassination. And during this time, he ends up after a couple stints of... I think gambling and almost getting killed for trying to keep some money. Because they borrowed the Back to the Future yeah. uh, so, device. Of, so then he goes yeah. back to what's familiar and he goes to Texas That's... and he becomes a teacher. So what happens there a little? That's kind of like a, the parenthesis in the middle of the novel. Okay, well, he met, he meets Sadie, who's uh, Sadie, right? Sadie. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. yeah. And uh, fellow teacher and they spark a romance. Uh, unfortunately, Sadie has a husband who is abusive and has a number of issues that like have made their repressed yeah. and uh yeah verbally abusive. basically made their made their marriage impossible yeah which is why they're not together anymore unfortunately uh the time that they are in uh she would need to divorce her husband in order to be with Jake and Jake himself is well a he's divorced but also um he has a really unbelievable story about who he really is and he's not really He's not able to easily tell her uh, the truth about himself. So there are a number of issues that are preventing the two of them from being together. Um, I don't know how many spoilers we want to avoid, though I do have some thoughts on... We can avoid on, the non-major okay, ones. On Sadie's ultimate fates, which yeah. I will not comment okay, uh, without good. without your uh, approval for the, <laughs> for the podcast. I'm a Yeah, but because uh, I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't read the book. But uh, her, her fate, I did did make me think and um, reflect on just the nature of life and experiences. And uh, if that's worth talking about, if, if we can, and if not, then we can do a supplemental <laughs> sequel in the future well, for people who have read the book. And maybe we'll do a segue because although it's yeah. a cute story, yeah. I felt like it didn't belong there. I just right. felt like this is a Stephen, uh, this is a Stephen King book. Yeah. 
And I would rather uh, not necessarily go into horror. Like I said, right. The Dead Zone is my favorite book of his. Mm -hmm. And it's not a horror. It's right. more of kind of a paranormal yeah. thriller. Yeah. Uh, and I wish that he had kept more to this, made the book shorter. But anyways, yeah. see, Al Templeton, I often thought I would have preferred to follow Al through yeah. this. Because yeah. Al is this kind of grumpy old guy who actually thinks that the, the sun shone out of Kennedy's butt yeah. and that if you can save Kennedy, you will change the world, right? It's almost like, you remember that TV show Heroes? Oh, yes. You know, save the cheerleader, save, save the, the world. world. Yes. It, it, yes, I, yes. I kind of, I thought like, oh, there's something cheesy here. Mm -hmm. It's a lot like Hero. Kennedy's yeah. the cheerleader yeah. in this story. Yeah. But Al at the same time is not the kind of guy who would have gotten kind of sidetracked with a love affair. Yeah, good point. Right? And 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 he was yeah. much more obsessive about history and its details. So coming yeah. through him, yeah. the whole debate about what's what can we trust from the history books or not? How do we know if there was a lone gunman or not? Yeah. If I shoot him, does that mean that the mafia will still kill Kennedy? You know, all of these kind of different stories. So I would have yeah, preferred that's... maybe that character because he was more gruff and less likable yeah. rather than Jake, who's this good-looking guy. Plus... Uh, well, who's the guy who plays James Franco? James, James Franco. Franco. Yeah. So I've never been a huge fan of James oh, no. Franco. I would prefer someone who looks a little bit more, uh, I don't know, awkward. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe. Anyways, actually, no. That's that would. I didn't occur to me, but that would have been a that would have been a pretty good book. Yeah, I'd like to that. see the book where yeah. where uh, Al goes back and. Uh, yeah. Uh, so what happens is that Jake uh, has this secret double life, and he's spying on Oswald, uh, while at the same time he's. Professor George Amberson at yes. this small town in Texas. He's driving back and forth. His girlfriend thinks he's up to no good. Yeah. Uh, and he has to reassure her that he's doing something good, yes. but he can't tell her what it is. So there's a whole element of trust. And eventually um, he meets the guy. And now here's, here's my biggest problem with this novel. And is that um, Stephen King did a lot of historical research for this. Yes. But there's three characters in this novel that he gets completely wrong. Okay. You and, probably know more about it this than I do. Yeah. So yeah. this is where I get to do my rant. Okay. Um, George de Morinschild, okay. who is like one of the only friends that Oswald had when he came back from Russia. Right. And George de Morinschild is depicted in this book, and I'm, and I'm assuming in the TV show, as this kind of proto-communist, right. a guy who works in big oil, but deep down he's with Castro and the Castro mm -hmm. revolution. And he seems to be the guy who maybe prodded Oswald to kill Kennedy right. in order to protect Castro. The problem is that's nothing of what the real de Morinschild was like. Okay. De Morinschild, actually, his father had been imprisoned by the Soviets. His oh. father had gone to the Gulag. Mm -hmm. Only by, uh, by some stroke of luck, his father was released and they ran away to Poland. Uh, de Morinschild's brother remained an ardent anti-communist. Right. Uh, so if anything, de Morinschild's family history yeah. is closer to being Nazi sympathizers than being communists. Yeah. So once he's in the state, he wouldn't have been prodding Oswald to do the communist thing. Mm -hmm. He himself was a liberal. That's how he described himself, right. but voted Republican. He voted for Eisenhower, later voted for Kennedy. Okay. So he's very much a centrist, but an eccentric centrist who kind of doesn't care about politics that much. Right. He just wants to make money. So he's actually very much like an Ayn Rand figure. Okay. In Oswald's life story. Yeah, and I've got same, a few Ayn Rand books. books. I have the same ones on my shelf. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so uh and, and they do talk about Ayn Rand, right? Yep. As this like That's evil it. witch yep. of 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 right wing uh yes. uh you know nutbag politics. Yep. Um so I, I think he got Demorenschild wrong, maybe even on purpose, in okay. order to create an intrigue, a right. doubt that we don't know if Oswald did it alone. Therefore, we can throw in all this more history so that it ends on the sixth floor of the book depository. Right. Rather than, I mean, he even suggests in the story, 
what if he went to Ruth Payne's house the night before, mm -hmm. you know, where his wife was residing, yeah. and just stole the rifle? Right. You know, you oh, could have yeah. just broken in the garage, take the rifle, yeah. drive away, and then Kennedy's gone in 24 hours. So then yeah. there's no more arrest. Yeah. Like, to me, game yeah. over. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I found that by by twisting a few of these characters, particularly DeMore and Schill, mm -hmm. he was using people who don't know the history and kind of manipulating the known facts right. rather than what I think is responsible historical fiction yeah. is to be creative in those holes in history where we don't have evidence. Right. But it has to kind of fit the general pattern of what we do know. Yeah. Uh, he does this a little bit with two other characters. And I'll, I'll just finish this rant, my, my okay. parenthesis with I'm this. I'm curious to know who they are. But well, uh, yeah. one of them is Oswald's uncle. Okay. Um, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Murat. Uh, they called him Dutz, Uncle Dutz Murat. Right. Uh, and it turns out like he had some very vague connection to organized crime, but that's just because he was a bookie. Mm -hmm. And he used one of the bars that, uh, that belonged to Carlos Marcelo in order to contact uh, some of his clients. But as far as I know, there was no evidence ever found that there was direct contact or even like uh, more than like a, a kind of a seven degrees of Kevin Bacon contact right, right. with yeah. the New Orleans mob. Okay. And the third one is this FBI agent uh, who shows up at the end of the novel, yes. James Hostie, yeah. who's well-known as the guy who was meant to follow Oswald and didn't, mm, okay. or failed to identify Oswald as a threat, which uh, allowed Oswald the opportunity to shoot the president and not be, say, on a, some kind of a, a security list or, or whatever. Uh, now, Hostie is shown as a little bit of an a-hole in the book and a kind of cloak-and-dagger guy who apparently knows everything that's in J. Edgar Hoover's drawers, right. which I would doubt that very much, yeah. that a low-ranking 30-year-old you know, FBI agent in Dallas would know what the head honcho in Washington is thinking about the Kennedys. Yeah. And in the end, I think, um, from what I've known, because I've researched the Kennedy assassination a lot, James Hosey is one of those poor saps who got picked on a lot, uh, although he was doing his job at the time, it's just he was overwhelmed with so many other people who were threats, mostly Ku Klux Klansmen, whatever, that a guy like Oswald, a Marxist in Texas, was not seen as a big threat, nor had they met yet. He was trying to find Oswald, but whenever he went to his wife's house, he was never there. Right. And he was not there. He wasn't yeah. living there, yeah. but his wife would not tell him because she didn't know where Oswald was living at that time. Got so it. it's a little bit like... The clock ran out on Hostie to find this guy Oswald, but never assumed that he would be the guy pointing a rifle at Kennedy. So anyway, so that's okay. kind of what I think the, where the, the book kind of failed a little bit. Right. Uh, but I'm sure there's a lot of redeeming qualities. Uh, so tell me what you like the most about the book. Well, um, I was really invested in the story and the efforts to, uh, to save Kennedy. But uh, more than that... I think I was really interested in the time travel mechanics. Uh, I really liked the fact that Stephen King put so much thought into thinking about how this would all work. Um, this idea that uh, history resets every time you go through. This idea, it's not like, you know, the, the TARDIS where you can just go anytime, any place. Um, you are stuck going to one specific location yeah. and one specific time and anything you want to do. It's not the time, time machine by H.G. Wells. Exactly. It's not, you must start at this point and, and anything that you do will have to take into account the time and the distance uh, between Maine and Texas, between the, between the years from, of arrival and, and the date of the assassination. And I really like that. I, 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 I guess if, if time travel is a real thing, there will be all kinds of restrictions and uh, you know, uh, things that, 
factors that 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 affect arrival and and uh, point of uh, time of time of arrival, uh, point of arrival, things like that. And uh, I, I like the fact that King put so much thought into that. And that's maybe a large part of the book's appeal just came from the fact that he really seemed to seriously think about it. I know in one 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 good example would be uh, the movie Back to the Future 3, which involves um, Marty McFly having to drive the DeLorean onto a set of train tracks that haven't yeah, yeah. been built yet. And one thing that always bothered me is the fact that like the Earth is moving in space. So the train tracks would not physically be where they are in the future because the earth will have actually moved from the point. So, so they'd be six inches away or something. Well, they'd or? be, they'd be, however, however much space the earth has traveled, you know, across the galaxy from, Oh, you mean at that same time, yeah, exactly. they'd be in a different place in the rotation. Yeah, I mean, so he might would, show up like in the middle of Bangladesh or it, something. Or, or yeah, or, or yeah, anything like that. He, he wouldn't be, you know, at the exact point on the glow on the because the earth is rotating and the earth is moving around the sun and uh anyway like um that's one of those problems with time travel that yeah a lot of authors don't bother to yeah so about. anyway the, the point is that 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 isn't necessarily an issue in this book uh but king thought about things like that when he when he put his yeah. uh rabbit hole idea together and and i i really like that and you mentioned back to the future because uh, you know this is great line from uh uh, was it Avengers Endgame, you know, uh, where Ant-Man or the character plays Ant-Man, he says, oh, back to the future was bullshit. You know, when they're talking about traveling back, that if you're going back in the, and I thought that Endgame did a better job at this idea of time travel is you're not changing the past because it's still your future or it'll be your present. Uh, so technically you're not going back in the past. You're going to an alternative timeline and changing that timeline. So you can take an object from that timeline, bring it back to your world, but you can't go to that timeline and change something that suddenly, like you can't sleep with your grandfather and make another version of you. Yeah. Well, grandmother, yeah. I guess, yeah. which is kind of creepy. Yeah. Uh, sorry for bringing it up. No, no, no. Uh, so this is whole idea of this loop yeah. that makes no sense because it has no beginning. Yeah. And I remember the movie Interstellar bothered me with that. I did not see that movie. Okay, okay, well, let's let, don't let me spoil it too much. But there's this whole idea that some people somewhere else, presumably extraterrestrials, advanced creatures or people in the future, are contacting this man to create a spaceship to go through a wormhole to find a new planet for humans to inhabit. Interesting. The problem is, it turns out that the people in the future... Is a is the future of us? Right. Okay. It's a future you right. talking back to yourself or to your daughter or whatever it is. Yeah, I get it. And so that means that there's this endless time loop that, in order for you to communicate with your daughter, yeah. uh, your daughter has to be there to receive the message, but you have to already be in the future to communicate back. That's the right? bootstrap paradox, I believe. Is yeah, I forget like that? what that's yeah. called. And, yeah. and a lot of movies do that. So that's why I liked Endgame because it it kind of broke with that and then brought up. It's another theory, but the idea of multiverses, which is a little bit more consistent philosophically than the idea of changing your own past. Uh, Michael Crichton's uh, timeline was it called Timeline? I didn't see that. I, one. Okay, or well, it was um, uh, it was a book which I did not read, but then it was a movie which I did see. Okay, uh, two thousand three, I think I went to the cinema with Alessia and we watched it in Ottawa. Um, anyway, that that, in fact, that's I think how I first came to know about the idea of alternate timelines and how you know just going back in time doesn't necessarily change the future so much as it makes a new future and that the old future will still exist it's just there there's going to be like more branches on the tree every time you go back in time mm -hmm. yeah 
This episode of Paranoid Planet is brought to you by Multiversal Pictures' chilling new adaptation of every Stephen King novel ever written. It, Chapter 3, JFK v. KFC. In a world rocked by organized crime, government corruption, a looming Great Depression, and the rise of an evil Nazi world order, a young Jack Kennedy stumbles into an old Indian pet cemetery while on a family vacation in Maine. There, he unearths the famous secret recipe for Colonel Sanders' Kentucky Fried Chicken. Follow him as he uses his powerful knowledge to climb the ranks of the U.S. power structure and save America from racial segregation, fascist tyranny, and the evil schemes of the military-industrial complex. Shudder as he barely escapes hired assassins, psychic mutants, haunted mansions, alcoholic professors, zombie Japanese sailors, a demon-possessed Red Plymouth Fury, a rabid St. Bernard, an overbearing religious mother, time-traveling cowboys, extraterrestrial Nazis, and a psychopathic pedophile clown. Despair as they all descend upon him in Dallas's Dealey Plaza for a final apocalyptic showdown. Eight o'clock! Eight o'clock! Eleven! Seven! Thirty! Six o'clock! Six! I'll get six. <laughs> <laughs> It Chapter 3, JFK v. KFC, with a star-studded Hollywood cast, including Tom Cruise as President Kennedy. We don't negotiate with terrorists. Wanda Sykes as his beautiful wife, Jackie. I'm driving this car right to my lawyer's office, and I'm gonna let the whole world see. You're gonna be on the news this evening, buddy. Jim Carrey as the evil Colonel Sanders. You can't stop me no matter who you are. <laughs> Christopher Walken as Lee Harvey Oswald. What I don't get is why you people so hostile. I've been good to you. Why are we fighting? Samuel Jackson is Jack Ruby. And you will know my name is the law when I lay my vengeance upon thee. Cheech Marin as Fidel Castro. What a levato, what's happening? Liam Neeson as Pennywise the Clown. I will look for you. I will find you, and I will kill you. <laughs> Adam Sandler as Bobby Kennedy. You're gonna die, clown! <laughs> you think that's funny? I don't hear you laughing now! Al Pacino as Chief Justice Earl Warren. If I were the man I was five years ago, I'd take a flamethrower to this place! And Charlton Heston as Charlton Heston. Silent breed is people! It Chapter 3, JFK v. KFC. You'll never look at fried chicken quite the same way again. Co-directed by Oliver Stone, Quentin Tarantino, and the Farrelly Brothers. Streaming soon on YouTube TV, Vudu, Ethnic Showtime, CNN Plus, and Crackle. Okay, now I have a couple questions here. Maybe you can enlighten me. Uh, whenever Jake travels back to the past, 
uh, he meets these card men, these people with a little card oh, yeah. in their hat. Yes. And these are the people that really intrigued me. There's a yellow card man, a red card man, a black card man, and a green card man. Sometimes they're the same person, but the card keeps changing color. And he finds out later on that be that's because every time he time travels, he's changing one too many things that might actually create havoc with the universe or whatever. So who exactly, before we talk about this whole idea of the, the time strings or whatever, who exactly are these card men? I couldn't figure out if they're angels or other human beings who are stuck in a bubble. Yeah. Like it's another Jake yeah. who's trying to clean up his own mess. That's an interesting Or idea. like, I don't know if you've read Philip K. Dick novels. I have read only one, uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? I've read that okay. one. So not that one. I'm That's thinking it's actually I've... a short story called The Adjustment Bureau. Okay. But there was a film with Matt Damon. I didn't see it. Where these agents are going around a little bit like angels, but they're more like bureaucrats going around arranging things to make sure that history works out in just such a way. Right. Right. So this, this sort of... Um, deterministic future but it's not like karma deterministic there's actually beings right. though they wouldn't call them yeah. angels they're yeah. kind of like a, a a human being who can time travel yeah. doing this so who the hell are these card men okay so you called it the adjustment bureau is that what that was called? a story okay. or the film at least well, that is what on. i understood them to be okay i have never read that story I have not heard of that story, but that is what I thought they were. I thought that they were maybe in the far future when time travel has been kind of understood and and uh, possibly even uh, used for 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 uh, more uh, reliable or more practical purposes than what Jake is trying to do. Um, I figured that uh, these time agents, I thought of them as time agents, yeah. had gone just to the various points where rabbit holes existed and... You know, one was given a task of, you know, you know, guard this rabbit hole for, you know, however long for maybe he has a shift of eight hours a day or maybe he has to actually live, you know, camp nearby. And because and, and and, they can't leave the, yeah. the rabbit hole area within yeah. like 100 yards or something. Yeah. And so one of them turns out to have a liquor store yes. near the, the rabbit hole. Yes. And he ends up being drunk and basically drinking himself to death because he can't handle it. So there's yeah. something about controlling these portals that yes. drives these guardians crazy. Yes. And and Jake only realizes much too late that that's what he's doing. Yeah. He's slowly creating so many different timelines that uh, these these guardians can't handle their job. Yeah. This made me think that they're they're deeply incompetent. Yes. Because all they yeah. had to do was guard, put one of those agents inside Al Templeton's restaurant. Good point. And say, don't go in the toilet. It's broken. <laughs> yeah. Right. Don't go in the shed there. Interesting. So that way they could have just closed that door. Good point. But they never did that. Yeah. I hadn't. I did. I will say this. Uh, the TV series with James Franco. Uh, the um, these agents are. Or nowhere to be seen. There, there's okay. a man who he even has a yellow card in his hat. Like I, I, I went back and looked, um, but he's not the yellow card man. He's just oh, okay. this drunk guy that's telling Jake, uh, "You don't belong here." When he comes through, and uh, they don't really follow up on this idea of yellow card. At least I don't remember that they do. I'll but they use that phrase a lot. I saw a montage that says, "You don't belong here. You don't yeah. belong here." Okay. Yeah. So it's the yellow card man. He even has a yellow card in his hat, but he's not. Okay. He's not the yellow card man of the book. He's so there's done. this idea that time travel often appeals to our our most noble or our uh, our our passions as we're going to do something great fall in love change the world and this guy this good guy is ignoring all the warnings because he trusts his own um uh good intentions much more than he trusts that the system knows how to regulate itself so we could say there's a kind of a deep state yeah. in these timelines yeah. but it's a benevolent deep state it's trying to avoid people from 
you know, effing up the future, if you wish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? And, and yeah. Jake doesn't realize that, that until it's too late. That's generally what I thought they were. I, I know the book doesn't explain. I was not okay. too satisfied with the lack of an explanation, though. Just I kind of pieced that together. I've been through the book twice. Uh, so, you know, the, I think the first time I listened to it was 2014. I listened to the audiobook, which took some time. And then I listened to it again last May. And I, I, I waited for an explanation as to who these guys were, and it never really came. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, maybe now we can do a major spoiler. So spoiler alert, you can put your fingers in your ears and go la, 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 la or read the until book. the person beside you listen to the podcast as it's safe again. Mm -hmm. So here's what happens at the end of the novel. Uh, Jake has killed Lee Harvey Oswald, but something horrible happens to his, his beloved. Yes. So he's, one, he's saved the world, but kind of doomed his own heart. Yes. Uh, and then he goes back into the future. And he realizes the future is now some post-apocalyptic nightmare. Yes. Horror of horrors, Maine is now a Canadian province. I remember that, yeah. Um, there's no oil anywhere. Everything is kind of like these little electric contraptions. Uh, there's very little energy. There's a lot of thugs, right-wing thugs. He finds out Kennedy did survive, won a second election, but horror of horrors, and this is where I think I actually appreciate Stephen King here, instead of falling into what I call the myth of Camelot, which was that Al Templeton, the, 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 the restaurant owner, what he assumed is if you save Kennedy, you save the world. Somehow Vietnam won't happen, Bobby Kennedy won't get shot, everything's going to be rosy, the United States will be utopia. I think that's kind of the unfortunate uh, boomer uh, dream. That's the American dream boomer style, that if only the early 1960s had continued in their direction, somehow we would be living in a non-nuclear wonderful age. And as maybe, I'm a Gen Xer, I don't know if you're a Gen X or a millennial. so am I. You're on the border. On, on the border, I guess. The uh, you're an yeah. honorary Gen Xer. Perfect. You can, if you can remember the 80s, you're a Gen Xer. Oh, yes. So, uh, I think for our generation, it's a little bit easier to understand that a guy like Kennedy, for all of his good intentions or his good reputation, you know, there was a lot of other bad things, killing Castro, yeah. sleeping around with endless amounts of women. Yeah. Um, it could be that he would have bungled stuff. Yes. He may never have gotten reelected because yes. uh, Barry Goldwater was defeated soundly by Johnson, but Johnson was a Texan, yes. another Southerner, yes. whereas Kennedy was this, you know, um, East Coast egghead yeah. that a lot of Americans at that time would not have trusted. Mm -hmm. Um uh, I don't know if you remember in Canada, uh, there was a guy called uh, Michael Ignatieff a few years oh, ago, yeah, uh, leader yeah. of the Liberal Party, yeah. but completely unpopular. He was yes. a Harvard uh, professor. Yes. I think one of the most qualified guys, I mean, he, he was a PhD political science, to want to run for prime minister, but it didn't sell. Yeah, I remember. People wanted a man of the people or some good looking guy with a name like Trudeau yeah. or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, Ignatieff didn't sell. So yeah. we can imagine a future where Kennedy just wasn't that uh, appealing. Yeah. Uh, the civil rights movement never really accomplishes a thing because it was really the death of Kennedy that allowed President Johnson, who was more civil rights focused uh, and less Cuba focused, yes. uh, to pass the Voting Rights Law Act and all these things. And then eventually, this I think the best part of the, of the book, President Wallace, oh, yes. George Wallace, the yes. Southern racist Alabama governor, yep. becomes president of the United States and drops the nukes on Saigon. Yes. And that's how the Vietnam War gets won, yep. in a sense, by total destruction. And, and then what happens, a, a chain reaction of nuclear uh, wars until eventually the, 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 the United States and much of the world is really just a, a radioactive zone.
So by saving Kennedy, this yeah. the, the line of dominoes was set up in such a way that this exactly. is Exactly. So by, by trying to force something good, you end up creating something horrible. And we don't have to talk about this, but maybe uh, those of us, uh, those the, the listeners who understand like Catholic theology, the whole idea of the doctrine of double effect, you know, this, this idea of uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, that you can't accomplish something good by doing something that you know is knowingly bad. Right. So yes. murdering somebody for the greater good, does that actually save the world or does that just make you a murderer? And I think this is where the parallel with the dead zone is very important. Uh, I think most people today would say, of course you want to kill a guy like Oswald, assuming he was the lone gunman, and save the world. But then when you say, well, what if you want, and this is the question of the dead zone, could you travel back and kill Hitler? If you could, would you do it? And they kind of conclude, well, you kind of have to. The guy's such a horrible man. Uh, and in the dead zone, it turns out that he does save the world, but he becomes the pariah. Yes. He becomes the Lee Harvey Oswald yeah. in his life story. That's right. It makes us almost in this uncomfortable position. What if Lee Harvey Oswald knew something about Kennedy mm -hmm. and he actually is a hero? Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't think he did. Right. I think he was just angry because of the Castro hits or whatever. Um, but ultimately, it means that for someone who believes in um, providence, whether it's divine providence or karma or some kind of force like the, the green and red card man, maybe sometimes it's let, better to let the past be what it was. As tragic as it was, the world could be a lot worse. Yes. That famous phrase by Leibniz, we live in the best of all possible worlds. We don't live in a utopia, but we live in the balance between uh, suffering and natural goodness. And if we try to artificially change that retroactively, we might end up making things worse. But what's your reaction on this? Yep, I think that that's exactly uh, my takeaway from the book. Uh, it's it's about accepting reality. Just things are the way they are. I think we ought to, you know, do good, uh, do the good that we can every day. But by going so far out of our way to change what's already happened we may not be doing the good that we think we are. And uh, I guess a good, a good example for me would be his coworker, the one that uh, he tried to save from his father and then he ended up dying. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. I forgot. I forgot. No, the I don't know. I'll, name. I'll flip through uh, yeah. it while you're talking. Um, but like, um, you know, just uh, being there for him, you know, giving him a second chance at education, listening to his story. Um, that was the most good that, Jake could do for that character. Harry, Harry Dunning. Harry Dunning. Harry Dunning. So see, for Harry, Dun Harry Dunning, Harry Dunning needed Jake, but he didn't need Jake to try and, you know, save him from his father or try to save him from dying in Vietnam. He just needed him to to listen to his story and 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 be his teacher, you know, get him his... Uh... He graduated from high school, right? He was uh, in a GED program. Yeah, he was like right? a janitor who ended up getting his high school degree like in, in late in life. Right, yeah. so, so giving him his high school diploma, that's how Jake could could do good. Yeah. In, in his life. Not by going and killing his father. Right. Yeah. See, by doing that, that's, you know, maybe he, Jake thought he was helping him, but he wasn't. Uh, Jake already did the good that he could do. Yeah. And I guess maybe I'm, I'm taking this from, uh, from Lao Tzu, the, the Chinese philosopher whose, whose uh, belief was in just, just doing small acts of goodness every day. And those small acts will accumulate into something great if you keep it up. And especially if your neighbors are doing the same thing and everyone in your community is all on board with this idea of just, just you know, helping others in small ways. And uh, I guess that 
that philosophy is reflected in the book. Uh, I don't know if King intended for that <laughs> to be the case, but I, I saw that. Okay. Uh, also, with regards to Sadie, uh, the fact that uh, Jake had a lot of time, he, he had a long time with her. Two and, and a half years or something, years. right? Of waiting around for Oswald to show up. They yeah. had, they had, they had, um, maybe give you just some, uh, maybe a more personal example. My, my wife's uh, brother passed away, uh, in 2018. Uh, he was 33 years old. It was very unexpected. And, uh, he and his wife, my sister-in-law, they had just married, uh, the October before. So he passed away in May. So October, so they married in October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May. So eight months uh, of marriage, and then my my brother passed away unexpected. My brother-in-law passed away unexpectedly, and um, when we think about you know the, the the good the good times that we have with the people that we care about or um, the people that uh, matter to us, um, we don't really get to choose how long we get to spend or how much time we get to spend with them. We really need to be grateful for the time that we're given, and I know that when Jake wanted to save Sadie, uh, you know, from, from her fates at the uh, end of the book. Um, it was, he, he wanted, he wanted more time with her, which I understand, you know, we, we all want that with the people we care about, but it's also not really up to us. And, uh, even by getting her back, he would have had to you know, introduce himself to her again and, you know, and rebuild the relationship and he would know everything about her and she would not know a thing about mm -hmm. him. And it wouldn't be, wouldn't be, re it would be, artificial you yeah know, no matter what he did to get her back it would not be real yeah i mean the novel you does know? finish kind of on a positive note where they they, they cross each other again yes uh, i don't think in the movie not not on the tv show maybe they, they do it's the last okay scene. yeah he, okay he dances so with her one last time and because she's, she's much old. older yeah. and she never they never were married or together but there's some and somehow she remembers like, him. I know and this somehow. is a strange thing yeah. because now that opens the whole portal about yeah. uh past life memories oh yeah or, or, or these, or I don't know, near death experiences. Yeah. And this is where, and, and we don't have time to elaborate here. Yeah. Uh, but I felt that Stephen King inadvertently opened a box and saying, this world is a simulation. Oh, yeah. With these people yeah. trying to control the past and the future and the timelines, whatever. It almost feels like we live in this Pythagorean world where our bodies are an illusion. And yeah. ultimately, we're just consciousnesses following a story being told by other people and every now and then we try to jump in and tell the story ourselves yes. and we muck things up yes. and it needs to be adjusted yeah. so i thought that he was driving us towards some sort of a deterministic uh gnostic worldview yeah. not on purpose right but i felt uncomfortable yeah. where, where that reality was going i did think that that was maybe a bit unwarranted because if, if the past is reset the past is reset so she really shouldn't know although i will say this the tv show they um they they changed the timeline a little bit so that um Sadie was in a car driving by when Jake arrived in 1960 like before they met they met each other she was in it's not Derry she's in whatever town the story starts in she's in that town visiting her aunt so she did meet Jake when he first arrived they saw each other in a shop and that was okay for like five minutes so I guess that oh it's would a different explain. character in the book yeah in yeah. The, yeah in the book this doesn't happen Sadie's not in Maine when no he, arrives. he meets some other woman in, yeah. a, in the malt shop so or so the so she's yeah she's in a malt shop so the the TV series made it so that he met Sadie when he first arrived so maybe she remembers him from that and she's gorgeous and I think yeah. she's Canadian so maybe that uh, would have been uh Maybe. Good thing. You know, the series was filmed in uh, largely the Toronto area in Hamilton. Interesting. The, the... I know a lot of things are filmed there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I so there's a lot of Canadian connections here. Interesting. I mean, let's face it. You know, a lot of places in Maine look a lot like places in Canada. I've never been to Maine, so I don't okay. know. But, uh, well, I, I like living in Canada, so I don't blame them at all. Awesome.
Okay, well, I need to uh, draw things to a close. Um, uh, I had some trivia organized. I don't know if you have uh, time for five minutes of questions. I do, I do indeed. All right, so yes. one thing I like to do is I like to end with a little game. So we're going to find out uh, how well you know Nebraska, okay. because let's face it, most people don't. So maybe you can teach us a few things. Otherwise, I will teach you. Please teach me. We'll see. So I have 10 questions. We're going to grade you on 10. Okay. But fe uh, fear not, there's also a bonus round where you can make half points. Okay. Question one, what is Nebraska's state capital? Lincoln, of All course. All right. Very good. Okay. Number two, in what year did Nebraska become a state? I was just thinking about this yesterday because the book that I'm reading right now talked about uh, this year that California became a state. And uh, I thought to myself, I should really know when Nebraska became a state. And it occurred to me that I didn't know. And then I didn't look it up. And now you've just asked ah, me the question. Well, I don't here's know. a hint. The same year Canada became a country. Which would be? 1867. 1867. Yeah. Okay. Number three, what is the Nebraska state bird? That would be the meadowlark. Oh, That's very good. The, with the black V on its chest. The western yes. meadowlark, to be, to be oh, precise. I did not know that. All right. Number four, what is the Nebraska state insect? I don't know that. It is the European honeybee. The European honeybee. Now, I'm wondering about the European thing. Is this not some sort of a... Cultural appropriation? I don't know. And why would it and be a European honeybee? I don't know. Maybe because the Africanized bees are like, uh, so. you know, they're considered to be bad. You remember in the 80s, there was a whole fear about uh, yeah. Africanized bees? Yeah, I remember uh, that. Michael Moore made a big deal about the racist connotations Interesting. in that. Oh. Uh, so maybe the European honeybee is sweeter and nicer and uh, can't dance. And... I'm going to have to look this one up. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I have no idea. All right. Number five. What is the Nebraska state beverage? I don't know the answer to that either. Okay, well, think of a, a large Oh, Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid. Oh, no, I think that's Jonestown. Oh, that would be Jonestown, but Kool-Aid was invented in Nebraska. It was. So that's why you know I thought I will maybe, give you a point for that. It says milk, but milk. I did see that Kool-Aid comes from Nebraska. Yes. Okay, yes. And, and and everyone at Jonestown thanks you for that. Yeah, well. Technically, it was Flavor-Aid. They, they had the cheap knockoff. Oh, well, I'm still sorry about that whole Number business. six. In 1819, what fort did the U.S. establish as the first army post west of the Missouri River? Would that be Fort Niobrara? Fort Atkinson. Oh, okay. Have you been there? Yes, I have. Oh. I would have guessed oh. Fort Niobrara, though. Number seven. What is the Nebraska State motto? The Nebraska State motto? I don't know the answer. Equality before the law. I didn't oh. know that. I'm starting to have my doubts whether you... Am have, I uh, really a Nebraskan? I don't like country a, a music Nebraskan. either. I like that. Uh, uh, number eight. How many counties does the state of Nebraska have? 93. 93. Good for you. Number nine, what is the point with the highest elevation in Nebraska? Um, I actually know that point because I've driven by it on the way to North Platte, which is where my grandparents lived when I was a kid, but I don't know the name of it. So where the kids go to make out? Uh, maybe. Panorama Point? I don't know. No? 5,424 feet. I didn't know the name of it, but I knew the place, but I didn't know the name. Okay. And in a rough ballpark, let's give you within a 10 degree uh, frame. Um what is the lowest temperature ever recorded in Nebraska? Hmm. I'm going to say, I'm going to guess minus 30 degrees Fahrenheit. I'm going to give it to you. Minus 47. Minus 47. That ah. is within 10 degrees Celsius. Okay. So we'll okay. give that to you. So right now you have one, two, three, four, uh, five. Five. Five on oh, 10. My... So here's the bonus round. 
I'm going to name some, I'm going to describe some people, famous people from Nebraska, and you have to tell me who they are. Sure. Each is worth half a point. Half a point. So you need okay. at least three of these, uh, two of these to pass. Let's hear it. A, famous actor and co-star of the film Apocalypse Now. That would be Marlon Brando from mm -hmm. Omaha. Congratulations. In fact, every time we watch anything and Marlon Brando shows up, I point at my fellow Nebraskan. All right. Yes. B, famous actress and star of the film Million Dollar Baby. Oh, I don't know the answer. It's not Hillary Strank. Strank yes, it, it is. She's from Nebraska. Yep, she is. Really? Maybe she keeps a little profile. I had no idea. No, I mean, I know she started in the like, movie. No, but... I'm from California. Really? Okay. C, comedian and actor known for his simple-minded blue-collar characters. I believe it's Larry the Cable Guy. Very good. But I am not really a follower of him. I didn't even know he was from Nebraska, <laughs> okay, but I'm well, guessing it's Well, him. he is. So okay. you've, you've passed the test. Now you're at 6.5. Let's see if you can get a B. Okay. Uh, detective, uh, sorry, detective fiction author, well known for his hard-boiled detective novels like The Big Sleep and The Long Goodbye. Uh, would that be Raymond Chandler? Yes. He was in Nebraska too. I actually Dang. didn't know that. And then finally, uh, this is not a friend of our show, but we've talked about him quite often here. Science fiction author turned kooky cult oh. leader whose greatest accomplishment was turning Tom Cruise into a rollicking nutbag. Yes, yes. The uh, Scientology guy whose name? L. L. Ron Hubbard. L. Ron, Ron Hubbard. Hubbard. Yes, All I knew right. he was. In fact, he's from a town even smaller than the town I'm from. So that proves that anything can happen in nebraska congratulations yeah. professor you have 7.5 on 10 which is a b nice all right so nice. you've, you you pass the class that's and you... good that i passed though i don't know what my grandparents would say if they and you might be able to this. come back on the program <laughs> yeah i'm gonna finish with just one thing we have something here oh let me reach over yeah call the question jar and in the, the question, question jar, jar, we have uh, we have questions that I wrote a long time ago. I don't remember what they are. They're odds and ends about a whole bunch of things. Right. Are you willing to answer of the question from the question jar? Of course. All right, here we go. If you were a Disney princess, hmm. which one would you be? Okay. If I were a Disney princess, I would be Belle. Belle. She likes to read. Oh, she likes to read. There I was going to say Mulan because she kicks ass. Well, she's a good one too, but no, no, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd stick with Belle. Very good. Well, Matt, it was uh, it was great to have you on this podcast. Perhaps we can have you uh, again I would like next that. time we look into some uh, conspiracy uh, book. Uh, I also award you as an honorary member of the ancient and accepted order of speculative haberdashery, the Knitters. See, you can't be a, a Catholic and a Freemason but everyone is welcome in the knitters wow. uh, because we don't ask you to believe in anything else and whatever you believe already. Excellent. Well, it's a pleasure to be one. Thank you for coming on Paranoid Planet. Well, thank you for having me. That is the end of episode 7.2a of the Paranoid Planet podcast. Join us real soon for part B. And don't forget to tell your friends, co-workers, students, underlings, and yellow card men all about our show, and to leave a review in every podcast platform that lets you. We survive through word of mouth, so if this show dies a painful death, well, it will basically be all your fault. Contact us at paranoidplanet.mail at gmail.com if you have any comments, questions, or carefully worded vituperations. And check out our website at www.paranoidplanet.ca where you can sponsor our program with micropayments and travel through time holes, wormholes, rabbit holes, and Montreal-style potholes, which, I should warn you, can get big enough to swallow an 18-wheeler. On behalf of Joan Lijo, this is Michel Gagné saying, we'll see you again in the near future. 
which will in fact be your present and my recent past all at the same time. Now my brain hurts. All right, I'm back in the bunker and I found a couple kids in my basement playing murderous video games, which is not that unusual. Uh, given that I like to keep kids around here to extract the adrenochrome from their brain, and then I send it to Hillary Clinton so she can live an unnaturally long life. Now, in the interest of me not getting arrested, uh, let's just call these guys Mr. X and General Y. Is that okay with you guys? Yep. Guys, are you good in science class? I'm above average, which is pretty good. I would say that my my science is Probably one of my worst subjects. One of your worst subjects. All right. That's too bad because I want to ask you a science question. I want to know, is time travel possible? I would say probably not because, I mean, you would need high-tech engineering to get, like, a machine that would probably have, like, maybe some sort of stuff from the past to bring you there. But then you would need stuff from the, like, maybe, like, uh, particles or like, a sample from the future to get back, so... I wouldn't say it's possible, because it's just people aren't that high-tech yet. Okay, so you haven't learned how to build a time machine in school yet, have you? Eh. No. Uh, are you guys pretty good at history? Uh, I guess so, maybe. I'm a, I'm a, I would say I'm okay in history. You're okay in history? Do you guys know who Adolf Hitler was? Yeah, he was the person who started the Second World War, and... um. It was a genocide. It was a genocide. Uh, X, would you agree with that? Uh, I have not learned about Hitler yet. No, okay. Let's just say he was a really bad guy who killed, like, millions of Jews, right? Which I think we can all agree is a bad thing, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, if you did have a time machine and you could go back to the past, would you murder Adolf Hitler? No. Why not? I would try and talk to him in a peaceful way. And try and convince him that it's the wrong thing to do and we can all live peacefully. Okay, and you're pretty sure he would say, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Maybe. Or he wouldn't shoot you. I mean, I would have a knife on hand if I need. <laughs> okay, so you'll keep a knife so you can stab him in the face just in case. Yeah. Yeah, what about you? I probably wouldn't try to talk to him because he'd probably be freaked out by time travel and try to stab me. Okay, so how would you go about then dealing with Hitler? Uh, I'd probably kill him. You'd probably just kill him. Uh, okay, so uh, finally... Uh, What's your favorite time travel movie? Uh, I mean, I only know a few, but I haven't watched. One of them is well, Back to the Future. It's one of the most famous ones. But you, X? Uh, for me, it's just Back to the Future. Back to the Future. Cool movie? Yeah, it's a pretty good movie. Okay. Well, you, here you have it. This is the generation of tomorrow. And as you saw, they would both uh, use a knife to kill Hitler, uh, which is kind of chilling. And now you know why I keep these kids locked up in my basement. Uh, you can thank me about that later. Thank you, gentlemen. You're welcome.